Welcome to the Mad Ones. I'm your favorite chubby bearded white boy host, Cam Harless, and I am thrilled to be speaking with my guest tonight. We've tried to make this happen. This is our third attempt, and it's finally working out, and I'm super thrilled about that. Uh, but before we we get to that, let's go through the, the minutia, the nitty gritty, and then and we can move on to the fun stuff. Um, so, as you know, this show is 100% brought to you by fans and patrons. So, Hit like, subscribe, and share the show with your friends. Honestly, the best thing you could do for this show is to share it. Um, you know, subscriptions are nice. Watch hours are even nicer, though, because that's kind of what we need to, to keep moving up in the, the YouTube ecosystem. So if you can share it, I would appreciate that greatly. Um, if you want to support me directly, you can do that on Patreon. On Patreon, you get the extended episodes. So at the end of, of the first hour... I'm, I, we switch over to what I call last call. And at that point, the, con, the conversation continues. If you have questions, it's really hard to pull comments up while being in a conversation. So any of the comments that come up during the show, those will be hit. And uh, anything like that is for the patrons. So if you go to patreon.com slash the mad ones, you can join us there and get that and occasional early episodes, zoom hangouts, stuff like that. Um, but if you'd like to stylishly support, you can go to we're the mad ones.com slash store where I make way too many shirts of things that I just think look cool. And if you want that, you can do that too, but that's it. That's all I have to say for you right now. So let's go ahead and bring our guest on. Uh, joining us tonight is a very lovely woman. She was the daughter of a cult leader, and that's not something you hear very often. Um, or maybe he was a messiah if you ask the right people. I'm not sure. We're going to find out. Uh, but as she grew up in a polygamist culture with fresh revelation from God, uh, she eventually got away from that, and she works with people now to help them out of their spiritual abuse, which is a very prevalent thing in society, something that we need as the church, as Christians, to work on. Uh, so she's here to talk about that, her story, her ministry, and all of that. And I'm very excited to talk talk to her. So please welcome the executive director of Be Emboldened, Miss uh, Naomi Wright. Hello. Thanks so much for having me. I am. I like I said. I mean, we're gonna rehash the previous conversation a little bit, um, <laughs> but I'm I'm happy that you're finally here because um, I the the way that I found out about you was I. Um, we talked to, there was one guy we talked to named Siren Warner, and he's a journalist. And right now there's a cult out of Alaska that he's trying to take down. Okay. Because it's, you know, it, they consider their children uh, property and objects. Oh, no. And there's all sorts of weird stuff with that. And mm -hmm. uh, he came on and I was looking at different cult stuff. And um, we also talked to Ben Brown who is the nephew of um, Cody Brown from uh, Sister Wives. Have you ever seen Sister Wives? Mm -hmm. um, so he's, he's the... Show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll have to ask. I have questions then. You just made me go, oh, I have a question now. Um, but no, we talked to him. Um, and one of the things that was interesting is Ben's a lovely dude. But once he left 
Mormonism. He polygamist Mormonism. He didn't he didn't come to Christ. Like he didn't, mm -hmm. he, he threw the baby out with the bathwater. And I think that honestly, this may get some jeers from uh, some of my Mormon friends, but that's, I think the problem with Mormonism in general. And I mean, you add on top of it, spiritual abuse mm -hmm. and polygamy, it just deepens the issues. But when it comes to Mormonism, once they leave that, they have such a tainted image of Jesus that it's like nearly impossible to get past it. But I, that's just me. Just, What's the, what's the word opining? That's the word I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. Just spilling my opinion out uh, to say when I looked into that, we also before we did an episode on Jim Jones. And what's funny is I, I came across the name William Branham. Mm -hmm. And when I searched for him, I actually found your article. And then and I read your article about your story. And then like maybe two days later, I saw a clip of a TikTok from you on um, the cultist show. And I was like, I've got to send her a message because she's still a Christian. This is abnormal mm -hmm. from what I've seen. So I, I, I want to know how that happened. I want to know what she's doing now. Uh, my mom runs her own ministry. She's the executive director of her mm -hmm. own ministry. So I'm like, I'm, I'm, I, I love seeing uh, men or women in that role. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, you know, let's let let's talk about it. So I first off, William Branham, man, he spawned a lot of stuff. Oh God! So, yeah. <laughs> which he was like, he really started, I think, kind of the um, faith healing ministries kind of deal in America. Almost wasn't he like big in the at the forefront of that? Oh yeah, yeah, he was big and at the forefront. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Now, I'm not the best historian on William Brennan. Right. That would be my friend John Collins. If you check out his website, but. You say John Collins, and I heard you mention him before, and my brain goes to the other half of the Bible project, Tim Mackey and John Collins. I And I'm like, that can't be the same guy. No, I don't think there's any connection there. <laughs> no. So John has a website, WilliamBrenhamHistoricalResearch.org. And he's the, yeah, so he's very much like does all the historical digging and things and has been for, I think, 10 plus years now. Right. So He's he's going to be better. So I'm like, oh, gosh, if he watches this, I don't want to get any of it wrong. So, John, I'm and, sorry. And, and I won't ask them, anything about I'm that. I'm sending them your way just in case. <laughs> but so check, I won't, I won't check go, my sources. Yeah. I won't go too deep into him <laughs> except to say that he – the what's interesting, what really piqued my interest about him was how you kind of see the way he spoke um, mm -hmm. in the words of different other cult leaders. I mean, mm -hmm. he essentially signed off on Jim Jones as a minister. Mm -hmm. And when he's talking about the, like, to be clear, there there's a different kind of conversation about the seed of the serpent that people have, like, in legitimate discourse, and then the serpent seed theology right. that he taught that came out of um, ironic, the, the weirdest place, David Koresh's mouth. Mm -hmm. And so the, there's this connection to this man, William mm -hmm. Branham, and he was the spirit, essentially the spiritual father of your biological father. Yes. And so yeah. let's, I just want to hear, let's, if it's cool with you, let's start with your story, your sure. history, where you came from. Yeah. So it's interesting because I never, I didn't grow up actually associating my dad with William Brenham and that group. Mm -hmm. Now I did grow up hearing, I mean, I can close my eyes and hear William Brenham's voice, which is 
something I'm not stoked about, but <laughs> don't ever really need to hear it again in my lifetime. I'd be just fine. So I definitely heard it a lot. And, you know, it's in my head. I definitely, we, my dad taught out of the books. We listened to the tapes, but my dad also then taught his own stuff. You know, he added on to it. He had new revelation, quote unquote, that was, that was being added. But part of the reason I didn't associate myself with the message, which is what William Brenham's group would be called, right. is because my dad had been in the message with his first wife. They were divorced. Um, she was not a supporter of polygamy, understandably so. And so she felt that she had to divorce him. She then remained single the rest of her life because um, she felt like she couldn't remarry, which breaks my heart, you know, when I take a look at the Bible for myself. But um, she drew the line there. And again, I, I respect her, her strength in, in doing what needed to be done. But so he was in the message originally with her and then he started getting his new revelation. I don't know exactly the timeline of how this worked out, but he then started traveling to different message churches, sharing his new revelation that he had and he got treated really, really badly. And yeah. so he basically got excommunicated by the message. He basically got excommunicated by William Brenham's splinter groups. Okay. And was this so after then, William, William Brenham died? That would have been after he had died. So my dad had an incredible singing voice. Um, he had actually been offered an opera contract, I believe, when he was in his 20s, had turned it down because he believed he was supposed to go in this direction of, you know, sharing the, the gospel originally is the understanding as I have it. But then he, yeah, started going in, in other directions. But he was singing in at least some of William Brenham's tent revival meetings. Mm -hmm. So they weren't, you know, in conversation really from what I was told, but they're like, he was in his presence basically. Right. And then my dad used to tell about this interaction and it was pretty close to when William Brenham died where he, the two of them had crossed paths and he's like, you know, he just had this moment where he felt like something, you know, spiritual had happened. And basically he had like kind of taken on that anointing, so to speak, or he was going to kind of pick up where William Brenham was going to leave off. Now he didn't know he was going to leave off at that point. He hadn't died yet, but that's sort of how it got pieced together later. So then my dad kind of, you know, started rolling from there and started his own, his own, again, splinter group, I guess, technically from yeah. the message, but splintered enough that they didn't want him either. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, it, I, if I remember correctly, um, William Branham, uh, essentially saw himself as an Elijah figure that was mm -hmm. going to like, you know, prepare the way for the, the second coming of Christ. And so yeah. him, you know, leaving the passing the mantle is like very strong story. Mm -hmm. And I can totally see how people would be cool with that. Be like, Oh yeah, of course his mantle has to be passed. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, that makes sense to me. I mean, I would, I would say, no, that's silly. But at the same time, I would right. have thought it was silly enough what he was saying before he died. Right. But, but then it got even funkier. So, cause you're right. Like you can kind of see like, okay, I can see how they would do what they did with it. You know, I, I can also see why it's wrong, but I can see maybe how they went from, from A to D. Yeah. But then my dad then taught that William Brenham had actually been Jesus's second coming. <laughs> and the world had basically missed it in a similar way to how everyone didn't recognize him the first time. Right. So there was a comparison there of, okay, that was actually Jesus here a second time. He's now coming the third time. And then my dad was now that Elijah figure. Okay. So he took the full mantle on in a sense. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Wow. I mean, 
Yeah. Because so, I would, oh, God. Well, it's like, well, it makes me think of David Koresh. I did a, a series on Waco several years ago now. Uh, but one of his things was that he, because the name Koresh is uh, essentially means Cyrus, which is tied to King Cyrus, I believe Persian mm. or Me Median King. I can't remember exactly what nation it was mm. who acted as the Messiah to the Jews and saved them from their Babylonian captivity. Right. Mm. And so at least that's my memory. It's not perfect. Um, but what was interesting about that, he took that name Koresh or Cyrus and everyone would talk about David Koresh and say he believed he was Jesus Christ. And he would, what's interesting about that in his writings, he, cause he did write his seven seals, um, or yeah, his seven seals mm -hmm. interpretation before the burning happened. Right. Um, but he was a lot more akin to a Joseph Smith than he was like any other historical figure because he didn't think he was Jesus. He thought he was a new Messiah mm -hmm. rather than Jesus coming back. Mm -hmm. It was a new Messiah. And so anytime anyone hears Messiah, they think just specifically of Jesus and he's claiming to be mm -hmm. not that any of this matters to this conversation, but it's just interesting to me mm -hmm. to see that your father took the Elijah role and made Branham. What would, do you happen to know? Like, how he claimed that Branham was Jesus? Like, what was the proof? Was it the healing ministries or? I know for sure that had a lot to do with it because it yeah. was, we, I wouldn't say that we were super, it's interesting. We weren't healing focused like Branham was healing focused, but definitely believed in healings, had stories of healings and believed enough that God's will would be done which I mean, yes, but to the point of like not seeking medical care for things. And so yeah. that's why my parents died probably unnecessarily when they did because they didn't get any medical care. So it's possible they could have been treated and they could have lived. So it was kind of, you know, we'll be healed or maybe we won't. Um, I had a really bad brain injury when I was eight. I was unconscious for 18 hours wow. and no medical care at any point. You know, so things like that, where it's like it would actually probably be considered neglect, you know, it would be a problem had it been reported. So so there was that that belief of, OK, healing will happen. Or God's will will be done with it. But yeah, not the way William Brenham was. But there was a lot of ref there were a lot of references to that. There was like, you know, God will heal. He's capable of healing. And again, I'm not saying I disagree with that. I don't that God can heal. Um, but I also believe that there's things that we can be thankful for depending on on where we are you know here in the united states we can be thankful for you know medical care we have available to us and consider that a gift to use it so oh, yeah. anyway i don't know i think i'm maybe rabbit trailing a little bit no, you're but good. it'll happen this is very free yeah. form don't, don't worry about it um because you're you're making me ask questions or think of questions that i want to ask you um May I ask when your father passed like what around what time what year yeah he passed away in 2007 2007. Okay. The year I graduated high school. Um, okay. So was he, okay. So I, I, I'm not, this is such a weird thing to ask. I, I feel like, cause I, it's like, I'm not like, you're not in it and I'm not arguing with you on it, but I have mm -hmm. like questions like, yeah, you're okay. Because Branham, like I said, signed off on, uh, Jim. What's his, I forgot his last name already. 
Jim, oh, the guy, the Kool-Aid guy. Jim Jones. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, Jim Jones. He signed off on him. And you'd think in a a worldview, a splinter group that comes from the charismatic gifts, that there would be honestly, now that I'm I'm saying it out loud, I noticed that doesn't happen a lot. So it's probably a bad question. But you would think that people going into these things would be very apt to pay attention to false prophecy, right? Hmm. It doesn't seem to be the case in a lot of these groups, not all mm -hmm. of them. Because, you know, I grew up in a charismatic church. I have okay. no issue with with solid charismatic mm -hmm. gifts of the spirit and stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm all about it. But I have noticed there are certain groups that just don't care how many times someone is wrong in their prophecy. Mm -hmm. But him signing off on Jim Jones and your dad living till 2007, how did he how would you even keep up the claim? Like that's the easiest way to argue against his divinity Wh whose divinity uh branham's that he signed off on jim jones you know i don't know if i don't know the people know that like i don't think that information like i mean i mean we've got to think about i mean the internet's on the newer side still oh yeah right sure. so i mean when you think about access to that information and then someone's got to go because people sure as heck aren't just spreading that information within the group, yeah. right? You know, that would be very hush-hush. So yeah. I, I don't think it's something that people are even informed of. And if they yeah. are, there would probably be such a strong commitment to cognitive dissonance yeah. that, I mean, it would, it would probably take more than that. It'd be like, well, then Jim Jones, you know, he turned to the devil. I mean, I could just imagine what they would say. Right. Well, Jim Jones then became a sinner and he went in the wrong direction. You know, that's not, has nothing to do with Brenham. That was Jim's decision. So I can just see how things would be rationalized to keep the worldview intact. Oh, so, I mean, to give you an example, I mean, my, my parents and their associated generation were not supposed to be able to die. That was a that, huge that, that cornerstone. Yeah, that's so strange. It's such a strange claim. So let me let me back up just a little bit because I kind of want to understand. I want to get to that for sure because that's so bizarre. Um, but so your your father um, is in the same room with Branham several times, mm -hmm. and he has this one moment before Branham died in a car accident mm -hmm. that he felt like the mantle had passed to him. Mm -hmm. And so he tries to go to these other churches um, and talks to them. They say no. Mm -hmm. And so he creates his own splinter group. Where, when did the polygamy start? How did that start? It started with the creation of the splinter group. That was actually, okay. that was, that was part of how it happened. So my, my understanding, which I give a disclaimer, you know, some of this is coming through other family members I've been connected right. with and things was, you know, obviously I wasn't there. I mean, that goes without saying, yeah. but so this is best that I can piece it together. So if anyone is listening, who was like, no, I was there, you know, please let me know. I'd be interested to hear it. But my dad wanted to marry my mom and enter in po into polygamy. And so that is when the split with his first wife happened. And I believe it was the polygamy that he was bringing to some of these splinter groups that were rejecting him. So I think that was all lumped together Okay, and was part of that, that rejection. Sense. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, okay. So how many wives did he have? Do you know? So there were, I don't want to make this sound even worse. I'm trying to think about it. They're looking back. There were women kind of in and out. So yeah. there were different women that were around for a while. 
And I'm not sure even if they were wives or if they were just potential wives sometimes. So that for me, again, looking back as a child, I'm like, that's a little fuzzy. Now I did find letters and things like that after he died in his room. So I got a little more clarity that some were potential future wives, but never ended up becoming wives. There are, I know there were a couple of women that were wives who then weren't anymore. Um, I believe I know for sure one left him. It's possible the other one had as well. So the number is greater than the number that he ultimately had children with. But aside from his ex-wife, there were four. I have siblings from four other women. Right. Well, including my my mother, you know, being one of them. Yeah, that's because that, you know, like that's that's one of those things. So if you I, I don't know if you know this, there was a meta analysis done not too long ago and shout out to my friend inspiring philosophy for doing videos of this on TikTok, so that i can actually pull this knowledge out of my head mm-hmm. um there are meta analyses done not that long ago that took all of the other kind of studies on polygamy mm-hmm. and talked about um how terrible it is for children and women mm-hmm. like i'm sure it's all also awful for men because i can't imagine doing it myself yeah. um but like i just I don't, I can't like, I can do it for for humorous reasons as well as like very serious reasons. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine doing that at all. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's like that, you know, there is kind of a necessary amount of child neglect. Mm -hmm. If you have four wives and 20 children, Mm -hmm. like that dad in the very least is not going to be able to tend to his children. But Mm -hmm. like there was a laundry list of um, negative repercussions, mental illness, different things that stemmed from polygamy and my like i said my friend mike jones okay inspiring philosophy was actually arguing with muslims about it and mm-hmm. so i remember watching that being because the female muslim the the women and the men muslims were arguing with him and so there's a definitely a cognitive dissonance in it completely but four wives is way too many um, i'm just gonna say that um yeah was there i wouldn't so, want more than one of me <laughs> I wouldn't want one of more of my husband, more than one of my husband either. So right, right. I love my wife. We have we have five children with one on the way because I really like her. Yeah. Would not want to. Yeah. Yeah. No. And <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's it's so interesting though because I am in a way glad for the polygamy. Right. Because my dad wasn't home all the time. Okay. Yeah. Because he was so abusive. So he and I'm glad that they were in another state. Most most of the hub was in a different state. You know, the hub was in a different state than where we were located. We were kind of a smaller grouping and we were the only kids of his in that state. And so he'd be gone sometimes months at a time. Now, we never knew when he was going to show back up. And when he showed back up, we never knew how long he was going to stay. So there was always that, you know, element of surprise that was incredibly stressful. But once he left, we knew we had some time to breathe. And so that was a relief. So it's interesting for me to look back because I'm like, no, polygamy is not good. (laughs) I can list off a lot of problems with it, a lot of things that it causes. And yet in a way it was a saving grace in my life. Well, I mean, also you wouldn't exist without him wanting polygamy. Right. I mean, maybe I'd have a shot. My younger siblings for sure didn't, (laughs) wouldn't have, (laughs) you know, maybe him and his ex-wife would have split anyway. I don't know. But Yeah. yeah, aside from my brother and I from the same mom. Yeah, the rest probably yeah. wouldn't have come around. 
Um, well, and what's interesting is, you know, I don't mean to go mention these people too much, but I mean, if you look at um, David Berg, um, David Koresh, why do they all have the same name? I wouldn't be surprised if your dad was named David. Um, but <laughs> um, uh, Jim Jones, like all of these guys, like Jim Jones wasn't known for polygamy, but mm -hmm. David Koresh was, David Berg was, who was the Children of God cult. Um, but there are a lot of these guys that it, it tends to be one uh, polygamy comes up a lot in these new revelations mm -hmm. from God, which are typically typically like eschatology related. It's typically about the end of the world stuff, which I I, I will ask a little mm -hmm. bit about that. Mm -hmm. um, but what comes with that is conversations about child abuse as well. Mm -hmm. Like it seems that a lot of times these polygamist men are also rage monsters in, mm -hmm. in some sense or another as well. And so it's this bizarre set of like you, you want all of these wives yet you, so many of them are abusive. Mm -hmm. why, why did you want all the, is this status? What is it that you're going for here? Is it, yeah. do you believe the, the revelation? Like what's going on here? I think a lot of it's control. Oh yeah. A lot of people to control and have do what you want. And I mean, I think there's also an obvious component that's appealing. Oh yeah. So, yeah. I mean, and I've been asked that, like, well, what do you think the appeal is? And I'm like, well, I mean, yeah, I think that's what the appeal is. But yeah. there's so much more that comes with it. And it's, there's at one point, and I may have even when I released my story initially a few years ago, you know, there's continued processing that happens, especially oh. as I've talked about it more, like kind of just piecing different things together that I hadn't really thought about before. But I used to say, you know, my dad, when he m took a wife and had kids, I mean, he there was a sense of responsibility for them it's not like he was just leaving kids all over the country or something right but at the same time like he didn't at least i mean at least for my immediate family as in myself my brother my mother um because my mom did work full-time whereas not not all of his wives did some of them were stay-at-home moms things like that my mom was the breadwinner like my dad didn't help support us he didn't he wasn't really an active father even when he was home and he was he was in his room all day, which again was a blessing. So I'm not upset about it. But in theory, had he been a nicer guy, you know, that would have been bad. You know, really, that's not what it's supposed to look like. Like he should have been out with us. He should have been more engaged. And he wasn't, you know, we knock on his door. It up a lot of questions you don't want to answer. You know, yeah. if he's with you randomly for short periods of time, but never any other time. Right. And he leaves and he's back and he, so, and I remember like, we'd get told like, oh, you know, your dad bought pizza on Wednesday night, you know, thank him. Cause he bought us pizza. And I'm like, my dad bought dinner and right. it's like a big deal Yeah, that shouldn't be. And yeah. I'm not saying that if someone is pastoring is shepherding is, you know, that they shouldn't be supported and things like that, but they should be supported in such a way that they're helping to support their families. Right. Not where the mom has to be this old breadwinner and we've got to have, you know, other young women who are prospects coming in and out and babysitting us. Yeah. Well, it's like, like you're a messed up scenario. Yeah. Like the sister wives is a example because, um, you know, I'm sure Cody works and I'm sure they make money on the show. But if you mm -hmm. look at their dynamic, um, like almost all of the wives or all of them worked and pro mm -hmm. provided for their little subsect of the family as well. Mm -hmm. It's just such a, I mean, you can't even argue practically for um, polygamy now. Like you may have had 
an argument for it if there were, you were a rich merchant or had tons mm -hmm. of sheep back in ancient days like oh i can i can provide for my whole family but mm -hmm. they can't do that now and couldn't while you were growing up either i doubt it mm -hmm. like how, how is he going to feed four families on a traveling preacher's salary right and if you think like old testament accounts you think about okay you know they had so many wives well there's something about women being taken care of so they you know didn't die and so they right. were provided for and so there was this caring for yeah. component that was really significant and i'm not saying that that wasn't the case more so with the other wives because i think there was i think there was more of a need maybe assessed right. but yeah definitely again it's it's not as it's nowhere near as it should be it's nowhere near what it was designed to be and yeah it's just it's a, it creates a huge mess i mean talk about like attachment issues <laughs> i don't know yeah. i don't know if anyone knows anything about you know the four attachment styles and things like that when you're talking about attachment i mean if you really want to screw up your kids attachment you know have multiple wives and have siblings that they call their cousins that live in other states i mean it's going to mess with attachment for sure oh absolutely it's well, it's a like my oldest brother, who is a half brother, mm -hmm. like just left one day when I was like 10, nine or 10 mm -hmm. and didn't come back for 12 years. No one heard from him for 12 years. Wow. And I had um, kind of abandonment issues from my older brother doing that. Okay. So I can't even imagine what mm -hmm. comes with dad being in that way mm. you know like the in the and these are like low-key abandonments because they're you're abandoned for so long then he's back and when he's back you don't want to be near him it's like ha you don't even have a dad at that point really right. do you and yet i wanted his approval so i would like try to get him to be proud of you know all that stuff that kids do yeah you know maybe stereotypically people think more of like little boys wanting dad's attention and of course that was oh. the case as well but even little girls like if you have five, I'm assuming one's a girl anyway. Two. Odds? Okay. <laughs> so you've got two <laughs> girls. Like, they're probably like, they probably love daddy's attention. You know, I have a little oh, boy man. and it's like, he's in his mama phase. You know, he's five and <laughs> it's like, mama's the best. So, yeah, I mean, he loves his daddy too, of course. But it's like, yeah, there's something about mother, son and, and father, daughter. And I just, it, it was sad not to get that. And again, yeah. I, I didn't want his attention because of how he was. But it should have been so different and yeah that's right. disappointing it's hard yeah uh, by the way we may have to do two episodes because it's so hard because <laughs> i want to ask so much we may just have to do another one later if you're down okay. for that i'm down um, for that cool um, you can't keep me up till 11 p.m i'll fade on you <laughs> I, 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 I won't do that to you we'll, we'll we'll have to we'll have to do another one um, part two. we'll talk about that after though um <laughs> but no so you you your dad and you you lived in this this life um let me ask because this is the this is what piques my interest is when you have these new special revelations when you have a new man deemed as the second coming of christ mm. um, which obviously is very you know eschatological i hate saying it that way because mm. they changed the second syllable to scat and i'm just not into that um but it's very in timesy, which is there, there, mm -hmm. there seems to be a lot of disorder that comes within hev heavily eschatological groups like churches and things that mm -hmm. really focus on the end times. There seems to be a lot of trouble there because I mean, if you look at most of the people that 
people have issues with right now that are like Bethel or whatever, which I'm not speaking. I, I don't, I don't study Bethel, so I'm not making any specific mm -hmm. statements, but I know that uh, maybe it wasn't even Bethel, but one church group that I knew of in college, they had some of the weirdest disorder in their church services, like real strange stuff that it's anti-biblical and almost every one of their new praise and worship songs were about the end times and the final battle. And I'm like, mm -hmm. why is this tied together so much? And I, I haven't gotten to the bottom of that yet. One day. Yeah. <laughs> um, but all of that to say, all of that rabbit trailing to, to ask, what is your father's gospel that he shared once Jesus came back and people didn't see him come back? Like what was, what was the thrust of his, his um, speaking, his, message you better pay attention and get it right this time because it's going to be your last shot okay it's a lot of uh fear based which is typical so yeah. be scared because you're gonna miss it and this is it so yeah. a lot of fire and brimstone a lot of wrath not really much grace being thrown in there yeah and yeah this is it and it's coming like we're in the end of the end and so you got to pay attention and that that fear is used then for obedience. So people fall in line, they do what you say and they think that's how they're going to make it. Now, interestingly, at the same time, he would say, you're not going to like, you can't, he would say like, you can't just be my kid and make it like, you're not going to like make it on my coattails. So you do have to make your own decision to be obedient and to live as you're supposed to. Right. So I'm like, there's some truth mixed in there. And that's something I, I talk to people about is the reason these situations can be confusing because it's black and white and right and wrong as my story can appear, which I get it. There's some very polarizing things that are very obvious, but it's not always the case, especially if we're talking about religious abuse at large. We're not talking specifically about cult abuse. It can get a lot dicier. And that's because there is usually some truth mixed in. There are some elements. Yeah. And so we've got to kind of like really break that down and so it it can be mentally more work so we got to critically think keep our brains on we got to do our own investigating and ask questions and things like that so but the eschatological part in my household was this is it and that's why they weren't going to die is because there was this guarantee jesus was coming back they were not going to have to suffer okay death. they were going to walk into the new heavens and the new earth so and genuinely when you're born into this especially and that's what you know you really don't think your parents are going to die. So when they do, that's a really big deal. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and that's, that's why I wanted to ask is because like you say, you did, he wouldn't die. I didn't know if that meant some sort of like property of his being, like he cannot die. He's immortal in some sense, or if it was, he's in the last days, Jesus will come back before he dies. So, so it was the latter, but what happened when he died is it turned into the first thing you said, basically. Okay. So pretty much we were taught initially, I think this has since changed, you know, mm -hmm. which is also common with cult groups is once you can't yes. really hold on to the theology, then there's a new revelation. You just keep it going forever. <laughs> so it's a <laughs> gift, quote unquote, that keeps on giving. Um, so he supposedly then was back in a younger, restored, healthy body. Like Father and, Divine? Um, I don't know if you know this story. So... Let me just break in. I'll come back. Yeah. I promise. Go ahead. But 
Um, so Father Divine was uh, known by Jim Jones and I believe was signed mm -hmm. off by Branham as well. It's a whole mm -hmm. crazy little small world. Mm -hmm. um, but when Father Divine, okay, so Father Divine had a wife, I believe she was called Mother Divine. And it was an old, he was an old, older black man. She was an older black lady. And when she died, he told his congregation that her spirit had moved into the body of a younger woman who became his wife and became the new mother divine. Bizarre, mm -hmm. strange thing. How do people believe this? I don't know, but they did. Mm -hmm. And so when father divine died, Jim Jones tried in, in vain, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, to take over saying that Father Divine had come into him. So he tried to take that splinter group. Mm. So it's just, you just, from it's, they yeah. cut, they're cut from the same cloth. It's just so weird. Yeah. And you're right. There's a similarity. There's also a difference because he wasn't in just a totally different body. It was like what actually looked like him at 18. Okay. So just resurrected. Yeah, basically. So not even reincarnated, kind of resurrected, but in a different, you know, in a, his young, healthy body again. So, and, you know, anyone who does know anything about William Brenham um, and some of the roots, there's a big tie to Africa. Like there's just a big, like, we're going to go to Africa and save the Africans. And I'm like, wow, this is a racial issue that we have going here. And it is known to be a, a racist group. Um, I'm not saying that everyone who associates even in the message now is racist, but right. there's an origin of racism. Unquestionably, right. there's a connection to the KKK and all sorts of things. So it was said that he would be that he was, he died, he took his last breath where we were, and then boom, like he was in Africa preaching and teaching, and he was going to send people back to our hub. So, Cam, like it was just like a year or so ago that people actually like moved for the first time. Like every, no one would move storage units of books for when people would get sent over so they could teach. And again, I'm sure some of this has morphed since I've been, you know, kicked. I'm, as you right. might imagine, I'm really privy to updates at this point <laughs> in my career. So um, I don't have the the newest and the latest, which I respect. If I were them, I wouldn't tell me either. So I understand that. You know, I say that with, with an understanding. What's, but, so, what's so crazy about this though, is like you, you said, you know, there was some truth to it and you're right because every single successful cult takes some form of truth mm -hmm. and runs with it to get people on their side. I mean, look at, I mean, yeah, when, you know, just keep calling out these different uh, semi-close to Christian groups. Um, <laughs> Joseph Smith, he said mm -hmm. that the um, the Bible had been... Um, ultimately corrupted. You couldn't trust it. All of the churches were corrupt and it needed to be restored. And it's like, sure, I could see making the argument, not that the Bible's corrupted. Mm -hmm. I mean, I could make an argument that there's been some ba bad translation, but I could see the argument of obviously all of these churches are in disorder because look at the, around the church now, there's a lot of people fighting each other that call themselves Christians. Mm -hmm. So obviously it'd be hard to decide. And you can go, oh, obviously none of these are right. I'm going to start my own church mm -hmm. with multiple wives. Um, well, <laughs> and no, Cam, that's basically, I mean, we heard so much about the different denominations and be like, look, they can't even unify. They can't even agree. They can't even. And it was used against denominations. So it was used against mainstream Christianity. The fact that people couldn't play nicely in the sandbox and just say, ah, 
you know, we can agree to disagree on some non-essentials. That's okay. We're still going to come together and unify for what is essential. And so that, yeah, so those struggles absolutely encouraged the cult mindset in the group I was in. It was used as ammo. Oh man. Well, and that's, that's what's so amazing. Like there's truth because it's like, even though I'm, I assume when you said that they would walk into the new heavens and new earth, that that was wording that was from your childhood and that teaching, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Okay. That is a truth that a lot of people don't talk about in our culture about the new heavens and new earth, mm-hmm. the marriage, heaven and earth together, like the resurrection of the body. All of these are concepts that kind of in a lot of American Christendom is like neglected. Mm-hmm. Like we don't talk about the resurrection. We talk about going into some disembodied heaven, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's crazy. There's this, big bit of truth mm. that he used. And so, I mean, it's just fascinating to see that and like, you, because you, I mean, that's what you were taught and that's right, but not in the way he taught it. <laughs> right. And yeah. And a big part of it was this. And again, we see, I mean, doomsday cults by definition are going to focus on end times. Oh yeah. That's, that's where their, their power comes from. So is that yeah. threat? It's a threat. Yeah. You know, I've heard so many stories of people who are like, you know, I, I couldn't find my parents in the grocery store for a second and I was terrified they got raptured and I was left behind, you know, and that's a real genuine like PTSD moment. that Dude, they have. I was as a kid, um, I the, the rapture and kind of like it's not my mom's fault. It's not my dad's fault. But like my kid brain was like, if I don't tell Jesus that I'm sorry, if I forget to tell Jesus that I'm sorry right before I go to sleep then he can come like a thief in the night and I'm going to yep. miss out on it because I didn't do that. Right. And it's like, that is so unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And we lived near trains. And so I would wake up at like two or three in the mm-hmm. morning when I hear a train thinking it was the trumpet sounding. And I was like, Oh Lord Jesus, please forgive me. Oh my God, please forgive me. Right. That's not healthy. Right. Yeah. It's not healthy at all. And so I get you. It's all, mm-hmm. all that. Say. I get you. And yeah, that's mm-hmm. a, it's a very, easy way to control people if they're scared to fall asleep. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but then it's do you okay, have but experience this, with that? do I have an experience with that? Yeah. <sighs> I mean, I was you afraid to experience. fall asleep period in general, but <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't have a specific, not the example I gave and I use PTSD potentially a little flippantly there, but um, yeah, it can no, be kind of a, a traumatic moment for people. But I definitely would feel this pressure of I have to say the prayer exactly the right way. And I have to make sure I've really covered all my bases because if I don't say all of it or if I don't. Yeah, if I miss something that I'm at risk of being overlooked. Right. Not only overlooked, but damned to an eternal hell. You're right. Right. It's like as a kid, that's terrifying. Mm -hmm. It's like that's why when, you know, I have a bunch of them. But when I talk about Jesus to them, I don't lead with hell. I don't lead with you because for one, I, you know, like I feel like there's a lot of misconceptions about what hell is. And I'm not saying it in any kind of unorthodox or heterodox Mm -hmm. way in the orthodox view. Like it's a little, I think people make it too simplistic and too Dante's Inferno, Mm -hmm. which isn't, I don't think bears out in scripture. But my kids don't need to know about this. What they need to know is what brought me 
to wanting to be Christian when I was three or four years old, which was seeing how much my mom and dad loved Jesus. Mm. That's, That's what interested me. Mm. And so I'm not going to give them the heaven's gates and hell's flames talk. I'm going to give them the Jesus is loves you. Look at what yeah. he did. Mm. Look at who he was. Yeah. Look what you get to be in the future. And that's what's so crazy mm. is like you like going back to the little bit of truth is the resurrection that he mentioned is like so important to the ultimate hope of Christianity to people mm. as Christians. But the fact that he his body that was there with you in that place wouldn't have been the part that resurrected, but just a new version of his 18-year-old body in Africa, mm. that's where you where he lost it. That's where he started making stuff up as he went. Yeah. But it's like, there's a very beautiful truth in it. If we tell the story right mm -hmm. and we don't tell the whole story most of the time, that's one of those things that I'm trying to figure out how to talk about because I'm sorry that I'm going into me. Shouldn't be. Oh no, me. no, you're fine. Um, Go for it. But when I look at the American church, when I look at church in general, more often than not, there's a, a lack of discipleship. Absolutely. In the church. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that, I think, comes from the fact that we are so focused on conversion that we forget about discipleship. Mm -hmm. Like it's a one time deal. We And a lot of people sell the gospel as a it's done. It's over. Let's go. Mm -hmm. You're, you, you got your fire insurance. Let's go. When in fact, it's like, no, there's a whole the story's not over yet. Oh, boy. In yeah. The middle of the story. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, I came out. I mean, so my mom died then when I was 25. Yeah. And that, is that really what, is that what made you really question it? Oh, yeah. That almost I mean, that almost took my life. That was okay. so significant for me. It also tugged at my worldview in a way that I couldn't ignore it forever. Because I'm like this, how, how could this be? You know, this isn't what I was told was going to happen. And I can't deny that they're gone and nobody's come back yet. So, I mean, what's, what do I do with this? So I want to fast forward for a second. I mean, then I walked into a real church for the first time, prayed God wouldn't smite me dead. Cause I was told, you know, that that was sinful to walk into a denominational right. church. So I walked into a non-denominational church thinking that was at least like maybe going to be okay. <laughs> but <laughs> seriously, that was my reason. That's so fascinating yeah. that you say that because it's like that's another part of the control mechanisms in cults and mm -hmm. Mormonism is they've told you every other church is of, of the devil, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So if you walk in, you're sinning. Like It's crazy. Yeah. And I was like, you know what, Lord? Like, you know my heart and my heart is that I'm trying to find you. And so if you're not in there, just let me know. Like, you don't have to make the building collapse. Like, I will get the message another way, you know, just like text me. <laughs> It'll be fine. <laughs> so, so I go into a mainstream church, non-denominational and try, and then, you know, I'm hearing stuff that's true. I'm like, yeah. gosh, like this is checking out in the Bible. And, but they don't know all that I know though. And I didn't mean it in an elite way. Right. And I'm not against saying there's times where I did, you know, growing up but at that time, it wasn't like a, Oh, I know something you don't know. It was more of I was like, I felt like I had to still hide it. And I was like, gosh, I don't know what to do because like, this is so good, but they're missing all this. They don't have all of the truth. They don't have the whole truth. But through this whole process, I mean, zero discipling is going on. 
Yeah. Like nothing's happening. And because of that, and my husband wasn't raised in a Christian household. He came into Christ when he was 17. Wasn't raised in a cult, but just really bad, you know, tough upbringing. Um, right. Mom loves him very much, but tough stepdad situation, you know, selling drugs, goes to prison, you know, just lots of stuff going on, abuse and things like that. Um, some poverty issues and different things. So, you know, definitely a mom that did her best to provide, but it's just a tough situation. So through all of that, he comes to Christ at 17 he's trying to figure out, okay, how do I even read the Bible? Right. <laughs> you know, like, what do we do? This is an ancient book. How the heck do we read this thing? We That's almost question that people yeah. don't ask. No. And people don't necessarily offer. It's not like it's, right. Oh, you came to Christ. Then let's sit down and have this class on how you read this book. That's super right. pivotal to your faith journey. <laughs> and so we almost wound up in a cult as a couple, literally You're with going? another couple Thank God I ended up going to seminary literally okay. within months of this. The other couple did indeed wind up in a cult and now they are both atheists as far as we're aware. They've mm. so, I mean, I'm like, thank God we went in that direction because there wasn't, there was a huge discipleship issue. We're talking like 800 young adults, you know, gathering with like nobody. I mean, I was approved to oversee <laughs> a, a life group of young women. I was, I didn't know I had been raised in a cult yet. All they did is they need a lunch for an hour. Well, and literally, they just asked me like, oh, do you believe in Jesus? You, I'm like, you know, define your terms, people. Ask people to define their terms because some wackadoodle stuff would have probably come out of my mouth had they asked me to define my terms. Right. But we think we're speaking the same language, but in reality, we're not. And yeah. so thankfully, I did not lead that group. I actually felt super unsettled about it. And I backed out of it the day I was supposed to start. So I really, I really think that was God being like, no, girlfriend, like you really don't yeah. want to mess people up. So let's just take a minute. Right. It's like, here's um, a little discernment yeah. that you don't, you don't know you need. Yeah. Um, and thankfully it doesn't necessarily have to come through higher education, like a seminary degree or something like right. that. But for me personally, that is what it looked like. I then got connected with a, with a professor where it just, things started to change. And I'm like, okay, now I'm getting some solid information. I'm getting my feet under me. That has absolutely changed the trajectory of my life. Um, yeah. Now I can walk into environments without being fearful that I'm going to get duped because I have right. I have an idea of, you know, I not only do I know things, but I also know how to investigate things. And those were skills I wasn't being taught by only going to church. Fortunately, yeah. again, I've found some great churches since then where they care about those things. But I always yeah. encourage people look for that, like look for that that discipleship, look for that kind of teaching where they're going to show you how to have these tools for yourself. So you're not totally reliant on the person on stage. Right. Well, and even on top of that, I highly recommend if you don't have someone discipling, I, first off, when you get to a certain point, you should be discipling and it's mm -hmm. the best thing that could ever happen to you. Mm -hmm. Like, um, I had one friend who very newly became a Christian, like just shortly before we met in this, this, discipleship thing between me and her happened naturally. Mm. And so I'm like just sharing what I'm thinking. I'm sharing what I'm wrestling with, what all these things. And she's, she's, uh, she, she's taken it to her pastor and be like, what do you think of this thing that, that Cam said? And he, and he's like, Oh, he's, that's exactly right. Right on. And it's just like, so funny. I think if you haven't been discipled, even if your church isn't great at it, find someone worth discipling mm -hmm. under and ask, Hey, can we sit knee to knee and talk about these things? Mm -hmm. Can you yeah. help me understand these things? Yeah. Uh, sometimes it has to be in some ways on you. 
Absolutely. Yeah. So seek it out. And gosh, I just hope that the generation before us says yes. You know, it's it's tough. I personally have had a tough journey of it. Yeah. It's been hard to find people who would make that commitment because right. schedules are busy. And I'm like, I get it. But that was hard to be a young woman of 25, 26 years old without an older generation to begin with. And even had I, you know, they had been in a cult, so it wouldn't have been super helpful right. for me. So to be like, I don't really have that and I could really benefit from it. But I also, I also, I also needed some relationship building to go along with it because I was yep. like, I gotta be able to trust you. So like, I need to get to know you a bit. And mm -hmm. so it's, it's tricky. I mean, it can be tough, but I, Gosh, I wouldn't give up on it. I mean, I've got some incredible, I was just reflecting on this the other day because I so badly at one point wanted that. Like I wanted this, this woman who was, you know, 20 years older, who would just be someone I could call. And, you know, yeah. I really learned during that season to rely on God. And I think there was something really beautiful in that for me personally, for my yeah. personal story, because I'd relied so heavily on my father that literally yeah. after he died, I started heading more into a new age direction because I was trying to seek his voice still. Yeah. So, you know, never mind the story of, you know, Samuel, Samuel and, and Saul. It's like, no, I'm going to connect. And very blatantly in the Bible, like, no, no, don't do that. Yeah. So not everything's that clear. That was very clear. But very clear. I, was heading, I was heading in that direction and, you know, just really wanting to replace that voice. And yeah. I, I had to rely on God because God is who I had. And that yeah. taught me some really incredible things. And I'm thankful for it now, even though it was hard at the time. And now with having launched Be Emboldened and be doing doing all of this, I'm like, gosh, I have two women in my life that I'm so thankful for and I can call them and I can ask them questions about theology or apologetics or just like, hey, this is hard. You know, being a wife this can be hard and being a mom can be hard and, you know, navigating this issue can be difficult. And I have it. And I'm like, wow, Lord, like you're so faithful to bring it back around. And to yeah. now bless me with it at this time. And so if you don't have it and it's something you're wanting, yeah, seek it out. Also continue to remember to lean into him. Because if yeah. you don't have it in the timing you want it, it doesn't mean that it's it's a waste. It means he's still going to show up for you. It might look differently, but remain open because yeah, who knows? 10 years later, yeah. you might find you have it and be like, oh my gosh, this is great. <laughs> it worked out perfectly. Well, it's like, you know, I'm, I just started my master's um, in theological studies uh, with a concentration in biblical languages. Um, Ooh, that was hard. hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, one of the things that came across in my reading um, for school, which was about like spiritual formation, stuff like mm -hmm. that, is uh, it was like, they're, they're, these are the spiritual disciplines and it's got all these different things that you're like, oh yeah, you know, discipleship is very good, blah, blah you know, all these different things. And then one of them was, um, solitude hmm. and it's like yeah i mean if that's all you're doing that's a little dangerous but like we need to practice solitude hmm. we need to practice being alone and praying and listening and all of that hmm. but yeah you saying hmm. that like having that time leaning on god is very good hmm. because it does teach you that hmm. teach you how to how to thrive in the quiet because i think that you know when talking to several friends who became Christians after me who haven't heard even the inaudible but unmistakable voice of God, like mm -hmm. how some people talk. You know, like there's that's what I call it. It's like it, it wasn't. I didn't hear an audible voice, but it's like you know sometimes you you yeah. you feel led. You you yeah. there's 
a message that you know is for you. Like you may be reading, it could be anything. But I have heard people say, why doesn't God speak to me? And it's like nine out of 10 times, and I'm not saying this is always the answer, And you, but you got to learn to be quiet. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, here's here's really what it taught me. My dad's voice had been the loudest and I was taught that it was supposed to be, you know, so I was doing what I was supposed to do, supposedly. His voice was the loudest. And then when I didn't have his voice anymore, I was still trying to find it. And then kind of culture became the loudest voice. And so during that solitude, God's voice became the loudest. Now, I'm not saying I have lived that out with perfection by any means. But I know to step back and be like, wait, I, I need to know what he has to say here. And I might not hear immediately. It might take some time. Right. And so that's what it taught me. If I had just found a, another man or woman to listen to in that season, I would have just kept hopping from one, the next loudest right. voice, to the next loudest voice, whether it's culture or a specific person, a, a pastor on the radio, whatever, versus yeah. God's voice needed to be loudest in my life. And that is what that solitude taught me talk about solitude i mean i relocated to a state almost the other side of the country i was living in my car i didn't know anyone that's what happened after my parents had died so i mean solitude i was very much alone and in that time yes god's voice i i began to know what he sounded like and my goodness was he way more loving gracious and incredible (laughs) than what i had been told right well and what's what i don't know about you when it comes to like hearing god but a lot of times for me, at least when it comes to like chastisement, because there is some of that, there is some correction. Oh, yeah. There is some. Absolutely. That, that, that I pray for that. Genuinely. Yeah. I've been praying for that since my dad died. Seriously. I'm like, Lord, please keep me humble. Right. I, or or I'll, do people turn into cult leaders when they lack humility and they gain a platform? Seriously. So it's like yeah. humility and please correct me when I'm wrong. Like I want to know when I'm wrong and I'll, man, I'll feel it. You feel that conviction of, why did I say it that way? Well, because I was shooting my own horn or why did I, you know, and I'll feel it. And I'm like, oh, he's faithful. Like, let me know. (laughs) Well, it's like for me, nine out of 10 times when there's correction, it's because it's almost like my brain has to catch up to my spirit Mm -hmm. because I will have said something to someone or about something that I, I feel needs to not, not necessarily me correcting something, but me stating what I think is the move, what I think is right. Nine out of 10 times, I think I'm preaching to others. And then I pull back and I see what I said and I go, God, you were preaching at me. Yeah. Through me. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like I I can't tell you how many times I've written something or said something and then had to stop and go, well, that was for me, not for you. I'm sorry. Yeah. Probably (laughs) for both. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's great. But, um, yeah, well, it's we're almost at an hour already, so I, I don't want to keep you too long, and I want to be able to move into the other section. But let's we can let's talk about where you are now and what you're doing now, mm-hmm. and then hopefully you'd be willing to come back again, and we can talk about your ministry then, mm-hmm. and like specifically how you help people with spiritual abuse, things like that. Yeah. Yeah, I would love to. So quick, I guess, kind of summary right now. So I founded an organization. It's a nonprofit 501c3 back in October of 2020 called Be Emboldened. And we, we come alongside people who have experienced religious abuse 
And we also work in the area of prevention. So helping people recognize red flags, things to look out for, equipping organizations, individuals to better support people who have suffered in this way. So we have direct services where we help directly, you know, one-on-one retreats. We just were out in Colorado this past weekend in the mountains recording our first digital course on rebuilding after religious abuse that'll be dropping here in the next couple of months. So lots of resources coming. Follow along on our YouTube channel for Be Emboldened. We have Reclamation Podcast. But that has been, yeah, that's that's been an incredible journey that was not on my radar. But we can talk more about that next time. But how did that come to be from a girl who literally at 35's best friends since forever didn't even know I had been raised in a cult? So how did I go from that to be emboldened? So yeah, yeah. that could be a little bit of a cliffhanger maybe for our next conversation. Yeah. But it's it's been incredible. And I love it. And it's just been amazing. We had last year was only our second year. And in direct one-on-one mentoring services alone, we did about 700 hours. Wow. With, with survivors. So I mean, it's just, it's been amazing and God's absolutely been blessing it. So it's I, a privilege. I definitely want to hear more about that. Cause I'm, I, when you were on cultish, I remember you saying things about red flags to watch out for. And I just wanted to know what those are. So when you come back, we'll do that. They do too. They just asked me if I'd come back. On. <laughs> They're like, we got, we got your story. And then it was like, but, but yeah. So, <laughs> so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I'd love to come back and share more about it. I would, well, and, and I, I do want to like, just, I, I honestly, at this point, I just want to talk to you about theology too, because yeah. those are my favorite things. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, w- one thing I was going to say, uh, you'd mentioned how so often we're speaking different languages. Mm-hmm. I think that that may be the hardest thing about not even seminary, which I've just started. So I can't really speak to that. Mm-hmm. I do have a bachelor's degree in biblical studies, but um, I learned most of all of the things I know about theology after college. Mm-hmm. And from independent study. Yeah. But what's crazy, and I don't know if you've experienced this as well, having gone to seminary, but as you're learning things, you can almost, it's almost like your language changes as well. Mm-hmm. Like your language becomes more nuanced and you, mm-hmm. it also becomes clearer in some ways. And you start to see these, the little faults in the way we talk about things. And you're like, I can't correct everyone. I can't be that guy. Right. But it's, I wish we could talk about these things. Yeah. And at this, yes. And at the same time, I also have a master's in social work and I'm a licensed mental health professional. And so it's, that can get tricky because I, I, I've found that because I'm putting the two together, you know, the seminary degree and that master's degree, I'm like, okay, I'm using terms, but I'm going to define a lot more because I know that they may mean something different. Like if I'm talking to my apologetics friends and I use the term authentic self, Mm-hmm. They're going to be like, cancel, get rid of her, you know, but Inner if I'm talking to the therapist room, they might not cancel, but I'm like, but you're not thinking what I'm thinking. So it's like, I need to define that and let you know, what am I talking about? Especially if I'm talking about like an ex cult member about, okay, who right. are they really? Cause literally they don't know how they like their eggs. Cause they were told how to eat their eggs. You know, like that's the kind of stuff they don't know what their design is, but as God's Imago day. So it's like, we can be talking about very different things. So yeah, it can be interesting because I'm pulling both together. So that'd probably be a fun conversation to talk about more. But point being, I have learned to get more into those nuances, even when I speak, just to help ensure I'm on the same page, especially if culture has hijacked that word to make sure that I'm defining it for people, for both sides, for all sides. How do I mean it in that moment? 
I have a small and growing list of words that I have, I, I'm like, the way we use them as Americans, post-Hellenistic peoples, mm-hmm. completely different meaning in the Bible. Yeah. This is unhelpful. So we'll, yeah, we that is that unhelpful. <laughs> yeah, and words do mean something. So I know yeah. I just kind of said like, you know how I mean it in that moment. It's like, I mean, I mean it how I mean it. But yeah, it's it can be applied in different ways depending on who's talking about it. So just trying to be clear, like this is my understanding of, and this is what I'm trying right. to say. Deconstruction is another one, of course, that can be big yeah. and yeah. causes some um, confusion. Yeah. So it has been lovely. I've enjoyed this very much. Good. Um, me too. And I'm still awake. So. <laughs> Good. Cause we'll, we'll do, we'll, we'll go into the after show and we can uh, talk to quest and anyone else who's, who's in there. Um, but I, one of the things uh, I like to put you on the spot. Um, like I put every guest on the spot, so okay. we're ready for that. Um, the last two years, maybe even more now, have been some of the most depressing years that people have experienced that mm-hmm. I know. Um, it was constantly um, in the groups that I was in. I over, I think it was in 2020, a close friend of mine, his brother, um, had gotten off drugs, got a new job, mm-hmm. and then um, the lockdowns happened, and he lost his job, and he lost his hope, mm-hmm. and he's not with us anymore because of that. Oh. Um, and so, not to make it a downer at the end, but we, when I started this show as what it is now, I decided I wanted to be a beacon of hope for people out there of any type Mm-hmm. that um, there is hope. There is a, there's hope in a future. There's beauty at the, at, yes. at, in this story. And so one of the things I wanted to do and that I do every week is when I have a guest on, I ask them for one thing in their life that it could be something small. It could be something big. It could be global, state level, national, whatever. But I ask them what's one thing that gives you the hope and the motivation to carry on hmm. to share our, our one little silver lining with the audience that they can walk away with and maybe find some hope in it themselves. So that's my question for you. What gives you hope right now? You know, I recently was talking to someone about this and it was funny because I got asked a similar question on exactly like how you're saying it. And afterwards they said, you know, it's so funny. I was just talking to someone about that and had a similar answer and it's kind of like oh that's sort of a trauma response someone who's experienced a lot of trauma that that oftentimes i guess would be their response and so it's kind of eye-opening to me to have it phrased that way but i want to share it because that might be the case for some people in your audience maybe some of you who are watching right now or who will replay this maybe you've had a lot of trauma in your life and so this might land for you too yeah part of my my hope that keeps me going is that i know that this is temporary. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that I don't see beauty in any of it. I see beauty in grief, to be honest with you. I've grieved a lot, a lot of different kinds of grief. And I see a beauty in grieving. I see a beauty in loss. I see a beauty, of course, in restoration. I see a beauty in the creation around me. I see a beauty in laughter. My little guy, you know, I see there's beauty all over. And yet there is so much that is not as it should be. And ultimately, what keeps me going on those days and those seasons that can be so dark and so hard and painful is knowing, you know what, similarly to Paul, I run this race and then I don't have to run it anymore. 
And so I'm going to stick it out. I'm going to stick it out and I'm going to, I know God's here with me, helping me do it. Even when sometimes I don't feel it. I know intellectually, even when I don't feel it, that he's here. Cause I don't, I don't necessarily feel every second of every day, but I know that it's true. And so I'm going to keep doing it. And then someday I will get to rest and I won't have to, and I'll get to look back and say, you know what, but I did it. I completed it. And that matters to me. Yeah. Well, and it's, and that it rest is such a beautiful answer because it's funny how all of these things tie together because you look at the Genesis story of creation, the, what's the thing that God did after all of his work and what mm-hmm. he invited humanity into mm-hmm. rest, uh, Noah rest. Mm-hmm. And then you see Jesus and you see this return at the end of the marriage of heaven and earth as things should have been in the gospel and our nature is, and this is not to say there's not work to happen, but it's rest. Mm-hmm. The good news is we get a, we get to rest, and the best rest we could ever have. Mm-hmm. Like nothing compares to that day. So I'm yeah. with you. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, um, I know that I have in the description uh, your website beingbolden.com. Okay, um, I don't I don't know if I have the links to your podcast and things like that. So if you could send those to me, I will put them Absolutely. Uh, when I post this elsewhere. Um, but if you want to let people know what it's called, that way they can get a, a head start on my lazy bum. Let's, let's do that. <laughs> yeah. So the podcast, if you're looking it up on, you know, wherever you play your podcast, it's reclamation podcast, a be emboldened initiative. Or if you want to check out our YouTube channel, just look for be emboldened and it'll pop up and you can follow along and play it there too. If you want the video option. Awesome. Yeah. But otherwise, yeah. If you go to be emboldened.com, like all the links and stuff are on there. So you can navigate from that. Too. Do you know what I love about your website? What? The bar at the very top that says something along the lines of if you need to close this window quickly. Click yes. Here. I was inspired by someone else. I saw it on their website and I'm like, this is needed because we have people who are kind of covertly checking things out. They're like, I think I might need to get out of where I'm at. So yeah, we want them to be able to do it safely. Like in, safely. I don't know how many women know this, but like if you are in a domestic violence situation whatever if you call 911 and begin ordering a pizza and give your address that lets mm-hmm. them know that you need help please send someone to my location mm-hmm. so it's like these little things like that little bar at the yeah. top of your page i was like that's awesome that's mm-hmm. thinking thank uh, you so you've been lovely we'll move into the the after the after bit uh, uh but uh, thank you so much. You are a lovely person. I've enjoyed talking to you a lot. I appreciate it. Thanks for letting um, me be here. Absolutely. I definitely want to do it again, and we'll talk about that okay. immediately. Okay. So, Sounds um, good. So for the rest of you, before we move into to last call, um, I wanted to let you know, next week, our guest is someone you may not have heard of. It's, I'm being sarcastic. Uh, we're going to have uh, my good friend, Jessica, who was the permanent co-host of the show for a long time, who was on hiatus. She's going to be coming back as a guest uh, to tell us her story about how she went from angry internet atheist to Orthodox Christian. And so we're going to have that conversation next week. Um, and then beyond that, um, I always love doing this part with the guests. They get to awkwardly sit there quietly as I go through this list. Um, but if you want to find me on Twitter, I'm at Ham Carlos. Um, unfortunately, because they won't give me my name back, 
you know, you say one thing, one mean thing to a Canadian prime minister and you lose your Twitter account. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm at him, Carlos. If you're watching, you'd rather listen any podcatcher or we are the mad ones.com. If you're listening and for some reason would rather watch, we're on YouTube, youtube.com slash the mad ones. We're also on Rockfin. If you want to watch the extended version of this episode, you can right now by joining Patreon or Rockfin, which we will stream both to both of those immediately. Um, so patreon.com slash the mad ones for that. And I think that that's it for that stuff. So again, uh, we'll talk in a second, but thank you. So I say, much. I don't have anything to add. If you kind of pause, yeah. I'm like, I, you might have other handles. I'm not sure. Cam. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's it. Um, <laughs> but thank you so much. We'll, we'll move over to the other now. Um, for, for the, those of you who are leaving us now, as always, you have a chance to be a light in the world. So go light it up.